I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are in the first quarter of 2021 on lesson five of our quarter about Isaiah. And this week's lesson is entitled, Noble Prince of Peace. The memory verse is one of those most well-known passages of unto us a child is born, right? Unto in fact, us a we, son is given. That's exactly yes. right. And we just came from, just a few weeks back, the Christmas season. And <laughs> right. It seems like a kind of a, we're throwing a Christmas thing in here. But what, uh, what are we really talking about here today, Mark? Well, the, of course, the lesson is called the Noble Prince of Peace. And we're coming on the heels of what we looked at previously with this conflict between the northern and southern kingdoms of mm-hmm. Israel and the Assyrians coming in. Yes. To, so, so... Um, Israel has leagued with the Syrians, mm-hmm. not the Assyrians. The Syrians. And so yeah. in order to defend themselves, Judah has leagued with the Assyrians. Mm. And there's all this conflict going on. And the Lord at the end of Isaiah 8 tells them, warns them against leaguing with these nations. Mm. Uh, don't say a conspiracy to all these things. All the, these people say a conspiracy or a confederacy, depending on the version you're using. Don't conspire with them. Mm-hmm. So in the light of that, chapter 8, as we're going to see in a moment, ends in a very bleak yeah, picture. Yeah, it's like it kind of ended on a down note at the end but of the chapter. But one thing that is especially needed at this time among God's people is peace. Amen. And so there is a message of peace that comes through this next segment. And actually this week tackles four chapters in Isaiah. So we've got it's, Isaiah 9, 10, well, 11, and 12. And in both Isaiah 9 and 11, we find Messianic prophecies that are that was the next thing I was going to say is because just wrapping our minds around the historical and political yeah. context there and the scripture that was to them, we need to also draw out lessons for us today. And I'm telling you, brother, I I, I think we could use a lesson on peace in our time too. Oh, so maybe there's yeah. some definitely applications. But before we do any further study of God's word, we need to begin with a word of prayer and yes. then get into our talking points. Let's start. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another opportunity to study your word. Please help us to understand it at face value for what it's saying for the times in which the people were hearing it in the first audience. But for us today, Lord, help us to draw out those parallels, those spiritual applications that your Holy Spirit wants to lay on our hearts. Help us to truly know and by your grace become like the Prince of Peace. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Brother Howard, could you walk us through our talking picture? Yeah, absolutely. So this week's talking points... Point number one that we're going to look at is that God speaks light through the darkness. And we were talking beforehand, this is this theme is throughout Scripture. You have, yes. of course, in Genesis, you have Abraham and the smoking furnace you That's had right. mentioned. You have... Uh, we have the repeat of those in the New Testament with John opening up about light That's and right. darkness versus in how Christ is the light. There's, there's This motif is and all And so, throughout. of course, we're, we're in a context of this dark time for Israel, and so God speaks light through the darkness, and we mentioned he does that with two messianic prophecies in this section. Okay. Number two, God's justice is the fruit of his love. And... I think we're going to end, I can just, I I know where we've been in our preparation for this, and it's going to be tempting to spend a lot of time in this one, because there's a lot of just good good information here. And then finally, God's mercy endures forever. Those are our three talking points, which, by God's grace, will become clear as we go through this. (laughs) All right, so let's go back and review. And 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 if not, because we are tackling four chapters of Isaiah, and pretty heavy chapters, with the exception of 12, which is a shorter chapter, Mm -hmm. we're going to do our best. All right, so so exactly. And hopefully these are just, you know, I I was in the Sabbath school class this last week, and the teacher came up and apologized for not following 
the outline that we put together. And I was like, brother, the yeah. whole point of this is just to give a template for a starting point. But there are so Our many Our viewers places. don't even understand. Like, now if somebody does watch Talking Points and we happen to be present in the Sabbath school because yeah. we'll go to different churches and different Sabbath schools, mm -hmm. then it's like... This feeling oh, yeah. of awkward, uh-oh, they're no, here, are we going to go just, through their outline? Exactly. There are so many ways you could go with this lesson. Many of them would be good. So please uh, just go as the Lord leads. That's but right. Anyway, for this week, uh, we want to start on this lesson intro. Do you want to get right into number one here? Well, yeah. Lesson, uh, we have a little intro in our outline again, just giving the setting. And I'm just going to read what I have here. Uh, in fact, Sabbath afternoon gives that little story illustration of Dr. Oppenheimer with the, with the question was asked about the atom bomb, like, is there some defense against this weapon? He said, sure there is. Peace. Yeah, <laughs> you know? don't so, use it. <laughs> and again, we're talking about the need of peace, real, true, heaven's peace in this lesson. And Israel at this time, uh, in Isaiah 8, God had warned both Israel, uh, which dealt with Pekah's union of resin, or union with Rezin of Assyria, of Syria, of Syria. sorry. Syria. And his, he warned also Judah because of Ahaz's alliance with Tiglath-Pileser III of Assyria. He warned them about the futility of conspiring with the heathen nations, saying they would become broken in pieces and their counsel would come to nothing. And we read the final outcome in the last two verses. Uh, why don't you read that, Isaiah 8, 21 and 22. Sure. Isaiah 8, 21 and 22. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen uh, when they are hungry that they will be en enraged and curse their king and their god and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. How miserable. Oh, that is some heavy stuff there. But So it, let's, yeah. it, on a lighter note, let's just keep reading the next two verses and then we'll... Praise the Lord. <laughs> Chapter 9 starts with that beautiful word, nevertheless. Yes. The gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Now this is packed. Yeah. And we don't have to, I mean, to, even to get in all the descriptive things, but just what we're looking at here, the lesson kind of summarizes on Sunday uh, in the very first paragraph it says Isaiah 8 21 and 22 those first two gloomy verses you read mm -hmm. describes the hopeless condition of those who turn to now the lesson says the occult but as I read in the context the occult makes you think that they were just dealing in sorcery and witchcraft yeah. versus they were da they were they were leaguing with heathen nations who just that, happens yeah, that to might be, be an academic they, term for like paganism and yes. heathenism, but it really means disobedience to God's law. Yeah, so yeah. what I put is idolatry. Okay. <laughs> and Isaiah 8, 21, 22 describes the hopeless condition of those who turn to idolatry rather than the true God. However they look, they will see only distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness, which is the language there of verse 22. Mm -hmm. By contrast, there will come a time when there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. The people of the Galilee region are singled out here as receiving the special blessing of a great light. The nation will be multiplied and rejoice because God will have broken the rod of their oppressor. And the very next sentence just says that they, they were probably singled out because they were among the first of the areas to be attacked by Tiglath-Pileser. Hmm. And the point that we need to keep in mind is God says elsewhere in Isaiah, we've looked at this already, that he sent Tiglath-Pileser. Hmm as a judgment. Mm. And so when you look at the language again that you read in verse 1, 
it says, Nevertheless, the, glo the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as when at first he, capital H, lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun. In other words, at one point, God punished Zebulun and Naphtali, mm -hmm. Naphtali, but afterward, he brings this great light to them. Mm. Okay, and we're going to see that kind of expanded. Well, and that in the last really one. does naturally flow into point one then, how God speaks light through darkness. That's so it's, right. it's, what is interesting is that the, obviously we've seen this in Daniel and other studies too. The Lord is in charge of all of the raise, raising of kingdom right. and whatnot, but he's clearly uh, behind this and allowing these things to happen for the development and benefit of his people, that's even right. though it's through difficulty. So that's one of God's MOs. He speaks light through this darkness. How does this work exactly? Well, uh, it's interesting that these couple verses here, and the lesson brings this out, these are in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew applies these verses directly to the ministry of Christ. Mm -hmm. and it was, he came into the region of Galilee. In fact, you want to read it there in Matthew chapter 4? Sure. Uh, that's verses, what was 13 to 16? Yes. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region of shadow and shadow of death, light has dawned. So it's not just um, it's not just an offhanded hey, this kind of applies. Here no, this is Matthew says he did this to fulfill that. And I'm thinking about the fact that you've got centuries that pass here. In other words, praise God for hope that, that the darkness won't... Incidentally, here at the end of chapter 8, and he's talking about this darkness, Israel is being launched into this time of Assyrian captivity. Ten of the tribes are going to be gone. Forever. Yeah, eviscerated. They're just gone. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's a gloomy... So God gives him this gleam of light, and it's pointing forward, as we're going to see again clearly. Well, Matthew brings out right here to the promised Messiah, but mm -hmm. that's going to come centuries later. And we're talk talking about like one or two hundred years. We're talking about <laughs> seven hundred years. Yeah. We're centuries, yeah. Yeah. So, um, of course, the, the prophecy continues in verse 6 with our memory verse, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. Hmm. There will be no end. Now, the idea of peace, again, keeping in mind that this is a time when Israel needs peace, and here is is foretold a coming peace that will never end, mm -hmm. which is a powerful promise. To us today, it's a powerful promise. We don't have never-ending We don't have peace now, let alone never-ending mm -hmm. peace. Mm -hmm. But that peace is as much of a promise to us as this promise to them. And it may seem deferred, like it did to them seven centuries, and now here we are waiting for the second coming of Christ, mm. but it's coming. It's a promise of God, and it's certain. Mm. So we have this promise of this, this uh, child that would be born and bring peace. Um, I have a note here, Monday's lesson. Hey, Monday asks, and it's second question there. Uh, well, the first thing it brings up is the child. The first, very first sentence says, here is the third special birth in the book of Isaiah following mentions of the births of Emmanuel and Mayor Halal Hashbaz, which the second was the son of Isaiah. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit. We don't have time to dive fully into it, but I believe that the, 
foretold Emmanuel in mm-hmm. chapter 7 had a direct reference to Mayor Shal al-Hashbaz in, in that context, mm-hmm. even though we know the greater picture is Emmanuel, God with us, Messiah. And I believe that both of those births, or the you know, in chapter 7 it says this child is going to be gone, born, his name is going to be Emmanuel, and basically by the time he's weaned, your enemies will be conquered. And then Isaiah's wife has a child, and they named it right. Mayor Halship, and by the time he's weaned, the enemies are conquered. So essentially you're saying that these first prophesied children, Emmanuel and, you know, we'll just call him Mr. M yeah. for and, now. And the lesson has, I need to interject, that yeah. the lesson says that, the, you know, treats them separate because at one point it said that... Uh, Mayor Shal Hashbaz yeah. wasn't named Emmanuel, so it has to point to Jesus. Well, Jesus wasn't named Emmanuel either. He was named yeah. Yeshua. Yeah. So the idea of Emmanuel is conveying, God's trying to convey through this thing that I'm with you. Right. I'm the God who is but with But essentially you. there's a first application in the life and times of Isaiah. Yeah, like a Isaiah. microcosm of the prophecy. Exactly. Well, and, and the lesson even talks about how Matthew 24 is an example, how Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament where he talks about some first hand events that people in that audience would live through and experience, but there's a greater application in the end times. And here for Isaiah, there were literal problems and there was darkness and difficulty and there was a son to be born and it was Isaiah's own son, but there would be the greater son of Jesus Well, and that son was a, you know, it was a sign to Ahaz. Remember Ahaz says, I'm not going to ask the Lord for a sign presumptuously. And Isaiah Mm -hmm. said, well, he's going to give you a sign and this is the sign. Well, Mm -hmm. that had to be a sign to Ahaz. Right. It had to apply to him then or it wouldn't make any sense. But... In, in saying all of that, we're looking at that further application. N- neither of us want to detract from the reality that right. by far the greater application to Emmanuel For sure. and this uh, child that's born, the son that's given, is to Jesus Christ. And the lesson asked the question in the middle of the page on Monday, whom alone could this child be? Well, <laughs> they point us to uh, Luke chapter 2, but I prefer Luke chapter 1, 31 to 33, because when you look at Isaiah six again, 9, 6 again, Unto us a child is going to talks about the government being on his shoulder, talking about his 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 uh, kingdom no having end. no end, but he sits upon the throne of David. Now, in light of that terminology, read what it says there. Luke one thirty one to thirty three says, yeah. "And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David." And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's right. Striking parallels. Yeah. So very clearly the child that's born is, all of this is pointing to Christ. Mm -hmm. The point, talking point number one, is God speaks light through the darkness. In a time of Israel's darkness, number one, God gave hope to them then and there in a present way but ultimately through the promise of the coming Messiah. This is why the Messiah has always been looked forward to by Israel and the big talk of Israel. Even the Jewish nation that rejected Jesus as the Messiah is still looking for the Messiah because the Messiah was the great deliverer who was going to come and bring peace and bring Mm -hmm. light into the darkness. So we have the darkness at the end of chapter 8, and here this light shines on Zebulun and Naphtali. and, Mm -hmm. And again, that's fascinating to me that like the very nations that, again, we could say, you got to keep the context. Tiglath Pileser attacked them first. But if you understand what the Bible says, that no, God sent Tiglath-Pileser. He's an agent. In other words, God punished them first, and God did not forget to visit them first with the Messiah. It's just a powerful... It's really beautiful. Like, they're not cut off. Mm. He... In, it, it pains God's heart to bring those judgments. And as soon as he, the time was right to be able to bring the light, 
He -hmm. did it and brought them right to the very same people. Beautiful. Well, and we're talking about this noble prince of peace and how while the initial one, you couldn't say of, you know, Isaiah's prophesied son there that he is peace, but it would bring, it would be a sign of peace. It It was a sign of peace. But Jesus is our peace. (laughs) That's right. You know what I'm saying? So the the, the categorical nature of these prophecies is different because the fulfillment is so much greater. While you might have a temporal... uh, Element to it. Right, and that peace it was talking about was just peace from the conflict in the right. nations, not it's a, it's a spiritual peace. Right, but he's like the prince of ultimate. peace. He is peace. Yes. Right. And so um, as it's a beautiful expanding of that thing as well. Do we want to get to this quote here in Desire of Ages? We're going to move no, on. No, we're going to move on. It's okay. in there if somebody wants to reference it. It's a great quote. But we're going to point number two. Okay. And that is God's justice is the fruit of his love. Because as we, you know, we end in the darkness. Now we're talking about all this, oh, God loved Zebulun and Naphtali. You know, he loved it. He sent the light and all this. His mercy endures forever, which is our point coming up. Which you would think then it would be done. Like, right. oh, good. So we're like, we had okay, dark, now light. Us, a child is born, a son is given. Now we're on the he's right gonna track. Be, he's going to bring peace, and he's going to reign forever. Oh, but by the way, verse 8, the <laughs> Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. So, like, through one nation to the other, and all of his people. And all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, inhabitants of Samaria who say in pride and arrogance of heart the bricks of it. And then God pronounces judgment. And then when you mm. come to verse 12, it says at the end of it, for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Now, I read that a number of places, so I went back through and looked. You'll <laughs> find that expression in Isaiah 5.25, 9.12, 9.17, 9.21, 9.21, and 10.4. If you want to explain a little bit, or maybe you're about to, how you were hoping to see, like, well, why? <laughs> maybe what it means is his hand is stretched out in mercy while his right. other hand is striking. Maybe that's right. What. God's judging, but the mercy is still there. Well, and we're going to see that picture, but that phraseology, when you look at chapter 5, mm-hmm. it says in verse 25, Therefore the anger of the Lord is aroused against his people. He has stretched out his hand against them and stricken them. And the hills trembled, and I can't help but think of Job. Stretch out your hand, and mm. you know that. So the, this idea is conveyed through Scripture in, in a number of places. This stretching out of the hand is in judgment, and when it says all his for all this, his anger is not turned away; his hand is stretched out still. Well, it's a continuation of the earlier stretching out. It's still stretching out. Right. Yeah. And this judgment has come, but I'm not done yet. In other words, <laughs> uh, there's more judgments to come. More judgment. That's and, and, what it's saying. And isn't it interesting? Because eight was that gloomy. If you do this, it's going to be bad, bad, bad. But woo. Finally, nine, uh, unto you a son, That's child. Right. Great. But then he says, but still, and he comes right back That's to right. it. So it's not like God is, ter- it's not like we, well, we kind of think about God sometimes in a binary, like he has his wrath, but then there's mercy and it's all done. It's He's either, right. ju- you know, executing justice or he's being nice and sweet. But the idea of them being together is sometimes uncomfortable for us. Well, and we often get this conflict with Old Testament. People, I don't even read the Old Testament. That was the mean God. Right, exactly. You've got to do the whole the nice Old God. Testament versus the New Testament. And or... so this is why we're highlighting this. You can't come away from this passage. Like I said, I had wanted to, as I looked at that passage, I'm like, no, stretched out his hand means he's stretching out his hand in mercy. No, it doesn't. And <laughs> it's just as hard. So right after the promise of the child, then the judgment, judgment. Judgment not only upon his people, then the judgment comes upon Assyrians. Mm. And so, in that context, we still need to come to the understanding that the judgment of God is not 
wickedness on the part of God. It's love on the part of God, which we just don't tend to think that way. So, for example, on Tuesday's lesson, yes, it asks the question right there in the, uh, it's the first question. Right. Um, read through the sufferings of God's people as shown in the above text, which we've referenced, and then compare the curses, which I'm not going to do right here. Then the question is asked, why did God punish his people in stages rather than all at once? So, for example, I gave you five instances. With all this, his hand is stretched out still, right? Mm -hmm. um, those were stages. Like, there was a judgment, and then his hand is stretched out. He's not done yet. Then there was another phase, and there was another phase, or stage. Mm -hmm. Why not just all at once? Why all the stages? It's an excellent question that they ask. Why did God punish his people in stages? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because, well, you, I think if we're, if, I don't know where you're going exactly, but I know that in the text as we study it, yeah. it kind of gives us the answer to this. Because if you follow up in verse 12, where it ends there for all of this. Which is chapter now? To, I'm sorry, Isaiah 9. Yep. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand yes. is stretched out still. And look at the next verse, verse 13. For the or people... Because. Yeah. The people do not turn to him who strikes him, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Yeah. So it, it's, like, it's like saying the striking from the Lord is in response or is in proportion, is That's related right. to the response of the people I, to I, the I striking. I want to emphasize right? that again. Verse 13 starts with the word for, but we would read the word because there. In other mm -hmm, words, for mm -hmm. is, it begins an explanation. Like, why is his hand stretched out still? Like, why, Lord? Why aren't you withdrawing the judgments? Because the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. So, in other words, it tells us the very reason God's pouring out the judgments is to get the people to turn. And this harkens right. back to, we shared this before in I, I, one of the first or second chapter, where Isaiah talks about the how from the, soul, the, the, the tip of the, the, the crown the of the head of the feet, to the yeah. sole of the feet... It's all wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They're not as it. And he says, why will you be stricken again? The whole idea is there's not a place left on your body that hasn't been stricken. Why do you keep? Yeah, you are the one keeping this going. And yeah. this is the picture we get here. For the people did not turn to him who strikes them. God is, his hand is stretched out still because as much as it pains him, he will do everything it takes, even the pouring out of judgments, mm. to save his people. Mm. And he wants to withdraw his hand. But they won't repent. So he continues until either they repent or their hearts are so hard that they can't repent. But this is really something that is a picture into the mercy of God. Uh, the judgment of God is yes. not contrary to his mercy. Exactly that. And, and you know, well, there's that great quote in, um, well, Desire of Ages, and you've got yes. this one already in the um, talking points there. But it says in Desire of Ages 762, God's love has been expressed in his justice no less than in his mercy. Justice is the foundation of his throne and the fruit of his love. So the idea, it's not like God's being um, disciplinarian and then he becomes right. loving. Right. But the love has both elements. Those I love, I rebuke and chase. Exactly. That's part of it. And this is the one we had talked about also from uh, Great Controversy yes. 465. Uh, afflict, affiliated um, to the dangers already named is the danger of understanding the justice of God, underestimating, sorry, the justice of God. The tendency of the modern pulpit is to strain out the divine justice from the divine benevolence, to sink benevolence into a sentiment rather than exalt it into a principle. The new theological prism puts asunder what God has joined together. And she goes on to explain how it in, is... In other words, that's just saying... 
let's talk more about love and let's not talk about right you know, or God's... that in his discipline of his people he has turned off his love and now he's right. you know disciplining and then he's going to come back and be loving when the recognition is that all of this is a process of love both of his of his That's chastening exactly and right. his appeal it is together that's and exactly it's, right. Yeah, it can't be separate. And, and when you understand that, it just changes the perspective you have of God when you read the Word. And you mm. see that in all those judgments, it's just God desperately trying to do whatever it takes to save. Right. Well, in Tuesday's lesson, paragraph 2, it says, If God had wanted to destroy his people, he could have given them up to the Assyrians right away. Right. And by the way... You think that phrase, if God had wanted to destroy his people, how many times in different circumstances he could have let him go or he could have actively done it himself. Right. You know, I think of Job, like he could have ripped, killed him on the spot, but yeah. he's like, I'm not trying to kill you, I'm trying to help well, you. Well, I think of Moses when the Lord's like, stand back and let me at the people. Right. Like, like, let me at him. Like, you can't stop, like Moses is in the way of like, God. Like, if it were for Moses. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and what the Lord was doing there was conveying to Moses that he was willing to relent. If, mm. You know? Anyway, so he could Seven give them places, up to yeah. the sins right away, but he is patient. It quotes Second Peter three nine, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Right. Mm. So all of this discipline that we're seeing well, here is redemptive, not punitive. It goes right. on to say, as in the period of the judges, God let the people of Judah and Israel experience some results of their folly, so they could understand what they were doing and have a chance to make a better choice. When they persisted in evil and hardened their hearts against him and the appeals he sent through his messengers, he further withdrew his protection, but they mm. continued to rebel. This cycle was repeated in a downward spiral until there was nothing more God can do. And you can read about that in Second Chronicles 36, uh, 16. Mm. So, but, that, but that's how God deals with his people. It's not just dealing with those people. It's dealing with all people, and especially in the end exactly times. Right. We're going to see that, that that's God's M.O. He's like, I'm going to give you choices. And God is allowing things to happen mm. right now in our... Yes, in our world and in our nation because he's trying to get people to turn back to him. Right. And it's yeah, he could turn it off, but he's, he's working not us through a process. Not all going to be flowers and sunshine. No, it's not. But his goal is redemption. That's exactly right. Which brings us to that final part. Exactly. Number three oh, of our talk so about much... God's mercy endures forever. Well, let's just finish up like at the end of chapter 10 and going into chapter 11. The last two verses, 1033 says... Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop off the bow of terror. Those of high stature will be hewn down, and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. There shall come forth a, ro uh, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, etc., etc. So the picture here at the end chapter Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 10 is that God, much like the story of Nebuchadnezzar, yes. is depicting his people, even and the, and the Assyrians as well, as a, a, a forest of trees that right. are being cut down. And then yes. chapter 11, so, you know, you cut a tree down and you're like, okay, there's this for all it is is cut down trees. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about the nation of Israel as a tree being cut down, mm. like that's where the Messiah was supposed to come from. Mm. So how, what hope is there? And then chapter 11 says that basically out of this stump mm -hmm. of Israel that was cut down and looks dead is going to come a shoot, a branch, mm -hmm. and grow. And that branch is in the Davidic line that's going to take the throne. So you mm -hmm. would think the, the line of David was cut off. Mm -hmm. And so here is yet another prophecy that is pointing to the Messiah and his reign in the midst of what seems to be a total <laughs> yeah. cutting off of his people. Well, let's dive into that in the last couple of minutes here. This yeah. idea of this branch 
of David, but he's also the root of David. That's right. Who who is this? Right. Obviously, we're talking about Jesus well, here. Well, the but lesson this asked a, that. Does this make sense? What sense does it make for him to be the branch? And then in verse 8 of chapter 11, the root of David. Right. So somehow Christ is both the root of David and the branch of David. And in your your scholarly pursuits, you have stumbled sure. up on a beautiful and sometimes, yes, I think, definitive quote. a definitive quote, and it's a bit of an obscure reference, is Manuscript 61B from 1895. But yeah. what does it tell us about? Uh, well, commenting on Revelation 22:16, who picks up, where John picks up the language of Isaiah, where he calls where Jesus calls himself the root and the offspring of David, so both the root and the branch, mm-hmm. then Ellen White quotes that and says, as creator of man, he is the root of David. As bearing the nature of man, that he may be the world's redeemer, he is the offspring of David. Mm. That he may lay down his life for the saving of the human race, he became mediator in man's behalf. So he's both the root as a creator and the branch as the descendant. Yes, and if you want to see Christ describe that himself, you yes. can go to Matthew 22, and we're not going to take the time to read through it now, uh, verses 41 to 45. But he basically picks up that argument from the scripture and asks them about the branch and root of David thing. And at the end there, where uh, he concludes, if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And he doesn't answer the question, but apparently it was a sticky enough issue. It says in verse 46, And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. That's right. So The mystery of godliness. Right, but, but it's true that this, yes, it's a descendant of David, but he's also the creator of David. Yeah. And it's an identity that only Christ could claim, and That's he just exactly left that right. one hanging in the air to let them marinate in it. I love it. That's exactly right. Well, very quickly, I'm not going to expound on it as much, but I would encourage you in your class that I actually would jump back to Isaiah chapter 10, where there's a little section at the end about the remnant, the return of the remnant. So all this bleakness, and then there's this return of the remnant, and that leads really well into chapter 11 with this branch. And then chapter 12, which is very short, but chapter 12 is a song of deliverance, much like the song of Moses and the Lamb. In fact, the lesson equates it to the song of Moses and the Lamb. So you have, in finality, you have this tree that's cut down looks like a dead stump but there's still hope a branch is going to go that tree is Israel that stump grows out of it there's the Messiah he's going to establish his kingdom there's going to be a remnant saved and it describes his kingdom as the description of the new earth so you have the no more violence no more of course this lesson is pointing to the prince of peace yes yeah the noble prince of peace that that peace will come and it will be glorious it says in fact in the passage of chapter 11 that that this of this branch, that his rest would be glorious. Mm. Now, the New King James, some of the new translations say resting place, but the King James says his rest, and I think of, come unto me and I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. There's a rest, there's a peace that Christ gives that nothing else can. It's promised to us, and it is certain. Amen. Well, there's some great concluding thoughts on Friday's lesson, so if we were teaching the lesson, we'd draw your attention to some of those passages or even the summary from the contributor there. Uh, But there's a lot of good information here that will lead us closer to a knowledge of Jesus and the rest he provides. So as we close today, let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for this study. Thank you for giving us this word of, of hope in the midst of challenging times and uh, Lord, we can't thank you enough for the, the promise of that coming Prince of Peace. Help us now to know him and experience a life like his, even in our time, as we look forward to and by your grace hasten his soon coming. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.